you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And a lot of my youth already are going to kind of know where I'm going, probably. Um, I feel like we've been in Mark chapter 10 for a couple of months at this point, but um, we're actually starting Mark 11, finally, um, this coming Wednesday. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 tonight. So this is kind of a a taste of, of youth on Wednesday night. So if you've wondered what it looks like on Wednesday night, this is kind of a longer edition of that, I guess you could say. But we're going to be in Mark 10, and we're going to be in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And before we get into the word, why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for a night to be able to come into your house, God, to be able to come as sons and daughters in the family of God, Lord, just to meet with you, to worship you, to get into your word, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me tonight, God, that you would say to the hearts of your children what you would want to say, Lord, that there would be things that we could take from tonight, God, that we could take out of these four walls into our work weeks, God, into our weeks at school, wherever we might find ourselves, God, and be able to be that light, as was said earlier, be that light in the darkness, God, so that we can have an impact at our jobs, on our campuses, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, God. We desire to give all glory to you always and forever, Lord. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Mark 10. And I don't know if your subheading in your Bible says the rich young ruler or the rich young man. That's what mine says. Okay. So it's the rich young ruler. And we're probably super familiar with this passage. It's found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we are going to be in Mark And I'm going to begin reading, and we're going to go through verse 22. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. I want to start off with a question. Have you ever walked away, I guess, from something because the cost was just like seemingly way too high? Has anybody been in that boat before? Anybody, anybody been to a restaurant like that before? I've been to restaurants like that. I'm like, yeah, nope, we're walking right out, right? I've literally been in places uh, like that. Uh, a steakhouse uh, in particular comes to mind and my youth, <laughs> my youth leaders, uh, and my youth uh, kids, they know. <laughs> they know. They've heard this story before. But I literally left because the stakes were actually too high. Literally too high. Um, but the stakes here in this story are a lot higher. You see what I did there? Okay, never mind. It's fine. But what this guy walks away from in our story here is, is, is much higher, much more important than just some really good filet mignon, than some really good dinner, right? He walks away from Christ. It says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. Th- this man who just seems so eager to come and follow after Jesus, he ends up walking away. 
Now, we have, a, we have a ton of saints here in the house. If you're a saint in God's house, can you say amen? amen. You're a believer in Jesus here tonight. We have a lot of believers here tonight. And we know that our lives are centered around King Jesus. Amen? Yes. Centered around King Jesus. He's not just something we add in the midst of other pursuits that we have in life, right? He's not just something added into our life. He is life. All life is about Christ. All life is about Jesus. He truly is supreme in our lives. That's the spot that he is supposed to hold in our lives. Is that number one spot in our lives. And I would ask you, I'll throw that question uh, out to you tonight. Do I treasure Christ the most? Is Jesus the, the, the greatest love, the most supreme in my life tonight? Look how Paul says, says in Philippians uh, 1, verse 21, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain because you're going to be with Christ anyway. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is he that number one spot in your life? Is he supreme in your life? I would ask, have you surrendered all to Jesus tonight? Everything you are, your, your intellect, your influence, have you surrendered everything to Jesus? Our focus is to be on Jesus solely, 100% completely on him. We are to entrust all that we are to the lordship of Christ, to the lordship of Jesus. And, and how many of you know that our faith isn't just faith in just some kind of knowledge, right? Our faith isn't a person, and that's in Christ. Our faith, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the one who we can trust, the one who's proven time and again to be faithful, to be faithful. So that's where our faith resides. And this guy right off the bat, you notice a couple of things about him. And if you read the the other stories about him in Matthew and in Luke, you gather that information together and you can see that he's the rich young ruler. That this, that this guy had many possessions, as we can see in our passage here tonight. But he's young, he has influence, he was probably as thought of that he was respected in his community. Really, if you look at it, seemingly on the outside, especially from the world standards, this guy would have everything that you would think a successful person needs in life right? He had the, he had the youth. He, he's had the riches. He had the, the authority and the influence that comes with that. That's kind of the core values of culture today, is it not? Isn't that what they value? Like you think of the most prominent people, uh, let's say out in, in, uh, in pop culture, it's they're usually marked by youth, by riches, and by influence, right? That's what they, that's those things that mark those people. And so it's crazy that we see this guy. He's actually eager. He's eager for something, and he's eager to wanting eternal life. And it says in our story that he's actually running up to Jesus. I know a couple of our youth uh, I heard this morning, they're in track, so you can imagine what's going on here. He's sprinting up to Jesus. He's running up to Jesus as Jesus is on this mission uh, to the cross. He's running to Jesus to seize this opportunity, um, and he does something that a guy in that culture normally would not do. Okay, so this is, this is really showing an urgency here, really showing his eagerness here. And it says in our passage that he kneels down before Jesus. He's showing respect and he's showing honor. So, so far, so good. Everything looks like he has the attitude of humility. Everything is trending in the right direction. He's going to the right person, amen? He's going to Jesus, right? Seemingly, he has the right attitude, right? He's asking the right question, how do I... Inherit eternal life. How do I get eternal 
life. He's, he's going to the right person. He has the right attitude. And he's asking the right question. Now, spoiler alert, we know where eternal life is found in. It's only found in, in Jesus. It's only found in Christ. Amen? It's only found in him. There's only, two, there's only two options, right? Eternal life or eternal death. Those are the only two options. There's, there's no in-between here. There's no in-between. Uh, there's no purgatory. There's nothing like that. It's either eternal life or eternal death. And, and if you don't have eternal life, then, well, you have eternal death coming your way. And if Christ is not in your life, that's coming for you. Eternal death is at the end of, of your life. There's no relief. There is no joy. There is no hope or happiness going that direction. It's like a nightmare that you will never, ever, ever escape. But because of Christ and his grace, he offers eternal life. And a lot of us have enjoyed that, right? A lot of us have enjoyed receiving from Christ. Amen. We got saints in this house tonight. Amen. But this guy is looking for eternal life. He knows he's missing something. He knows there's a, there's a hole in his heart, and he wants, he wants the answer to this. And so he comes to, to Jesus, and he calls him good teacher. He calls him good teacher. And we can just, you know, breeze over some of these things, but he's really showing respect and honor to Jesus by addressing him as good, as good teacher, right? Maybe he had heard about Jesus. He's, maybe he even worked in the synagogue as, as was thought. And so maybe he heard Jesus speak a few times and he knew that he, there was something different about him, the way he spoke. Oftentimes when Jesus in the Gospels, when he, would, when he would preach and teach, they were in awe because he spoke like no one ever had spoken before. He spoke with authority, the scriptures say. So maybe he experienced that. And so he comes up to Jesus. And so many times in Jesus and his ministry, People would come with ulterior motives. We see the Pharisees. We see the scribes, these groups of religious leaders trying to trap Jesus, trying to, trying to catch him somehow, trying to ambush him if they could. But this here seems like a genuine question. He's asking a genuine question. So why does our guy end up walking away at the end? Why does he end up walking away? Well, firstly, we see here, and it's, it's very obvious in these verses that, that this guy, he had a high view of self. He had a, a really high view of self. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man who seemingly had it all, he was, he was used to doing to getting, right? He was used to, let me do this and I get this, right? I have all these things, let me add this thing to the list. I'm missing this and let me get this. What, what do I have to do? In his workspace religion, what do I have to do to accomplish this, to, to check this off of the list? But we know, as I've spoken before about, salvation is something that is what? Received, not achieved, right? That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Do you believe that? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he asks this to Jesus, and look how Jesus responds. It's like he, he latches on to this, this first part. He says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Our guy here, he doesn't understand the true goodness of God. He, he doesn't understand the true goodness of God or goodness really in relation to himself. He, he doesn't see it. He doesn't get it. And it's like Jesus is saying, do you understand what you're saying? 
by calling me good teacher? Do you understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? Do you understand by calling me this what you're saying? Because that was reserved for God. So in essence, this guy's calling Jesus. He's calling him God because only God is truly good. Only God is truly good. But we see that this man, he didn't see that. He was blind to that. He was trusting in his own superficial goodness. And so Jesus continues in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And all the kids said amen to that last one. Amen. Um, he says, you know the law. right? You know that you're a religious man. You know the law. And, and you might scratch your head like, why did Jesus answer this way? Like, why is he throwing the Ten Commandments at this guy? And, and it's the back half of the Ten Commandments. The ones having to do with our relationships with one another, our horizontal relationships here. He's like, you know the commandments. It's as if Jesus is trying to show this guy something. He's trying to show this man something. And look what this guy responds in verse 20. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Yep, all the commandments you just listed. I've kept every single one of these since I was a kid. Every single, yeah, I got it, good. Yes, the commandments, check, mark, accomplished. I've kept all of these things. And maybe he genuinely, in his works-based religion, maybe he thought he did. Maybe he thought that, that on the outside, that he, on his outside performance, it was spotless. Maybe he truly thought he did. He thinks that he actually was able to keep God's commands. How many of you know that God calls us to be holy as he is holy, right? That's in the Bible. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. His law is holy. He rules and reigns. He's king. How many of you know that your life, the very life that you live, that, that doesn't belong to you, right? That doesn't belong to you. That, that we're living actually on borrowed time. We're living on borrowed resources. Even the breath that we take, that's borrowed. And on top of that, God is sovereign and he sets the standard. He's the one that sets the standards. So God is the standard setter here. The standard is set here, and, the young, and this young man, this rich young ruler, is saying, I've kept all those. The ones you just named, Jesus, I've kept every single one of those commandments since I was a kid. Like, <laughs> just to add on top of that, since I was a kid, I've kept them all. I've kept them all. There's no way. He, he is blind to his own sin. He is blind to his own sin. There's a standard, a holy standard by a holy God that we cannot attain on our own. We cannot attain that standard on our own. We can't. We all fall short. None of us measures up. And he's, he's throwing this back half of the Ten Commandments to, to, to put up like a mirror. How many of you know that the law is like a mirror, right? To show how sinful we truly are. He's trying to get this guy, acknowledge your sin. Here's, here's the law of God. Acknowledge your sin. See how sinful you really are. But instead, he goes the other way, right? This guy's like, nope, I've, I've done all these things since I was a kid. Since I was a kid. No, the law is meant to show us that we can't do it. We can't do it on our own, that we need Jesus. So we need a Savior because we cannot attain to the holy standard that has been set. We cannot earn it. There's nothing that we could possibly do to measure up to that standard. Nothing. And this guy was blind to it. He doesn't realize 
it at all in the face of the one who could actually do something about it, standing in front of Jesus himself. So he's unwilling, he's blinded to the reality that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness. He's blinded to this. He's, he's blinded. And I love how, how we're going, how we've, we've gone through the gospel of Matthew. And in chapter 5, it says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? So they, sh- so they shall see the God. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy because they have nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer to God. There's no spiritual value in and of ourselves that we have to offer God. There's nothing in and of ourselves. That's what the Bible says. Our best is as filthy rags. Our very best. We're not good enough on our own merit. We're not. We're not. And so Christianity, and I've talked about this the last time when I spoke in Romans, is different from the other world religions because there's a standard set and right off the back it's saying we cannot attain to that standard. We cannot. We cannot attain to that standard. We are lost and hopeless without our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Only he can justify us. Only he can reconcile us to God. Only he can make us in right standing with a holy God. It's nothing in of ourselves that we could do. So this guy, he has a high view of self. And in contrast, when you have a high view of self, comes with a lower view of Christ. Because you think you can attain the standard in it of yourself. And so this is what we see in this, in this guy here, in this man here. But how many of you are thankful that when you were lost, that now you are found? That we have a God who extended his grace to you and saved your soul and has grafted you into his family. Amen? Amen. Amen. In spite of our sinfulness, Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. I love that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have to avoid those that mentality of, of starting to think that God's love is based off of our, our doing, based off of our earning, based off of, of us somehow earning his approval. Because we need to avoid that type of thinking. We need to avoid and run from the self-righteousness that, that Jesus so often called out in the Pharisees. And instead, we need to rest in the gospel of Jesus. We need to rest in the fact that he came to save sinners like you and me. We need to rest in Christ. We must have a high view of Christ. And when we have a higher view of Christ, we see ourselves in the right perspective. We see ourselves as we truly, truly are. Now, I will say that having knowledge about Jesus isn't enough. It's not enough just to know. Just to know. Knowledge about God doesn't demonstrate any real allegiance, any real allegiance to him. It's more than just knowing about Jesus, but do you know him personally? Do you know Christ personally? Do you truly treasure Jesus in your life? Do you truly treasure him? And it starts, of course, recognizing your sin, confessing that sin, knowing that you can't meet that standard that has been set by God and that you're desperately in need of him. Amen. Verse 21 Jesus continues, he says, he looked at him and he, what? He loved him. He loved him. He loved this sinner. And, it's, and he said to him, you lack one thing. And you might think this is crazy, what, the, the, what follows after. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. It's like, what? What are we talking about here? 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Now, is Jesus saying he's against wealth here? <laughs> is he saying he's against, like, if you're in a certain tax bracket here? Is he against those people? Is that what he's, is that what he's saying here? Like, only the, like, the actually financially impoverished are making it into the kingdom? Is that what he's saying here? No, no, that, he's not saying that here. He's not saying that here. Well, why is he saying this here? Well, we know that he's saying it out of love. We know he's saying it out of love. He loved this man. And out of love, he's saying to go sell all that you have. So how is that loving? I thought by today's standards that love means to get as much as you can, not give it all away. Isn't that what the world says love is? Like you, you go satisfy the desires of your heart. You, you get as much as you want. Satisfy those sinful desires. Go after as much as you can take in. So how, how is this love? Well, first of all, the world's view of love is a false view of love. And in our passage, this is loving by Jesus because of the offer that Christ makes here. Because of the offer that he makes here. Look at those last few words that he says. After he says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Christ isn't trying to rain on this guy's parade here. That's not what he's trying to do here. No, it's out of love. He's making this offer and the offer is go sell all that you have and you can have me. You can have Jesus. You can have Christ. He's offering himself here. He's offering himself right here. That's what makes this loving. He's trying to show there's a better trade-off here. There's a better trade that the cost is actually worth it here. This cost of leaving these things behind and following after me, it is way worth it. It is so worth it. And saints here, the things that, that have costed you by following Jesus, how many of you know it is worth it? It is worth following after Jesus. You can attest to it in your own lives. And he's trying to show this guy this. He's trying to show him how this looks. He's offering himself. But this guy still has the audacity to stand in front of God himself and say, I've already, I've already satisfied those. I've, since I was a kid, I've accomplished everything you've named here. Everything you named here. I've already, I've already checked those things off here. But Jesus knows that this man here, he loves things, his possessions more. He loves it more than God. Than the God that he thinks he knows so much about. This man loves possessions even more than God. What are those things in your life? Are there any things in your life that God is asking you to leave behind, to set aside, to depart from? Things that maybe you are starting to treasure or you currently are treasuring more than you treasure Christ in your life. He's like, look, leave those things behind and you can have me, access with me. You can be with me. This man didn't understand his own sinfulness. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. He didn't see how far he actually fell on the standard set by God here. And so he's like, Jesus is like, I'll show you in your relationship with others. He didn't see it. Then I'll show you next with your vertical relationship. I'll show you in your relationship with God. With God. Christ is to be all of our lives, but Jesus is pointing out the thing that most, was most captivating this guy's life, which was his stuff, which was his possessions. Would you be willing to give it up, all of it? Would you be willing to give it all up to get what you seek? That's another way that you could phrase that, that he was asking this guy. Are you willing to leave it all behind to get what you seek, which is eternal life? Are you willing to lay it all aside? To get what you 
sake? Would you be willing to give up, give up anything, everything, to follow after Jesus? Maybe there is some, someone in here that isn't following after Christ. Maybe there is something in your life that you just will not let go of. You will not let go of, and it is hindering you following after Jesus. I encourage you tonight, let it go. Set that thing aside. Surrender it to the feet of Jesus tonight. He can bring deliverance over that thing, and he can save your soul. And he can save your soul. But for us saints in here tonight, what are those things in our lives? Are there things in our lives that are starting to creep up into our lives that are trying to take that number one spot in our hearts? Submit it to Jesus. Submit it to Christ. Christ doesn't want any competition for that number one spot. He doesn't want any competition for that number one spot. He should be our greatest love. He wants that number one spot. Have you checked on your greatest love recently, church? Have you checked on your greatest love? He used to be our greatest love. I like, I like what Mark says in, in chapter 8, verse 34. This is Jesus talking. He says, if anyone would come after me, and it's so funny, Pastor Mark alluded to this in his sermon. I, I love it. If anyone would come after me, what does Jesus say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We must be willing to abandon anything and everything to follow after Jesus. To have a life that's completely and totally submitted to Christ. Is every area in your life submitted to Jesus? Submit it to Jesus tonight. Submit it to Jesus tonight. And trust your whole life to him. Surrender it all to him. What is that thing in your life? Are there things in your life that are competing for that first love, for that top spot? We must be willing to lay that thing down. In Luke's gospel in chapter 9, it talks about the cost of following Jesus. And I'll read a few verses starting in verse 57. It says, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answered, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Is comfort something that you desire? Is comfort something that, that, it, that is greater in your life? Then following after Jesus. Look what he says in verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's this, this idea of absolute focus on Christ, that our life is all about Christ, that he is first in our lives. And he knows our hearts. How many of you know that God knows your heart? Your heart is an open book to him. You can fool people around you, but you cannot fool God. He sees it all. He sees it all. And he sees those things in your life he sees the, the, the most supreme affections in your life. He sees those things that you love most in life. When we follow Jesus, it's more than just professing it, right? Young people, it's more than just on social media saying you're a Christian in your timeline, right? It's way more than that. It's way more than just saying Wednesdays and Sundays I go to church. It's way more than that. 
No, our whole life is about Christ. Monday through Sunday, every day of the week, everything and everything that we do from our sports to our schools to our social settings to our jobs to our time at home to all of our relationships in our lives, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. He is our supreme treasure. He is the center part of our whole lives. He must be. He must be. He must be. What is that thing in your life? You know, that the, the, thing, the way we act a lot of times, it's not just rooted in the things we know, but it's rooted in the things we love. It truly is rooted in the things that we love. That's why we need to love Christ more than anything else. Because out of that, that obedience is going to flow out of that. If he's truly supreme love in your life, obedience is going to follow that. Obedience is going to follow that supreme love. But it goes the other way. If your supreme love is something else, you're probably going to see uh, maybe a lifestyle or a pattern of disobedience. Because Christ is not number one in your life. And if we are truly having him as number one in our life, as our supreme love, as our supreme treasure in our life, we're going to see that we have a hunger and a desire for righteousness, a hunger and a desire to obey his word, to obey his word. This guy here, his idol was his stuff. That was the idol in his life. And at the heart of every single sin is idolatry. It's idolatry. If you want to talk about threats to your spiritual life, threats to, to, to quenching the flame, if you will, for your passion for Christ, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And, and I don't want you to think just because you know I know my Bible, I know so much, I'm a, I'm a saint, I'm a believer in Jesus, that you're off limits from idolatry trying to creep up in your life. Right? Idolatry will take a Christian who, who loves Jesus, who is for Jesus and just turns them into a stagnant Christian, a going through the motions Christian. Believers who want to make an impact at their job. Oh, and I want to make an impact on my, cam on my campus as young people. They'll turn them in just to somebody who just blends in when idolatry is in your life. Maybe no one even knows you're a believer. That's the effects it can have on your life. All throughout scripture, we see warnings to God's people about idolatry. All throughout scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, look how Paul says it to the Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Translated, free, flee from idolatry. Run from idolatry. 1 John 5, 21, the book ends by saying this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. We need to be guarding ourselves from greater loves, from these things that would try to creep in and take the number one spot. Back in Exodus 20, um, we see a really great example here. The Ten Commandments. We, I'm not going to go through the whole story of what, what's going on here. The Ten Commandments are being given. Thunderstorm, all, all this craziness, right? This just massive scene, right? The people are terrified, right? And a few chapters later, they don't know where Moses is at. And we see that they make a baby golden little cow, right? They literally make an idol, right? It was that quick. It was that quick. Knowing God and knowing the truth about him doesn't prevent you from the threat of idolatry entering your life. Don't make that mistake of thinking that, that idols were just back in the old days or I don't have a little baby golden calf on my dresser at home, okay? Because <laughs> that's not what it is. Idols happen within the heart. It happens within the heart, within the heart. And when God talks about in Exodus 20 about this, when, he, when he's talking about 
the Ten Commandments, he talks about that we should have no other gods before us, that we should not worship them, that we should not serve them. And really, that's a good filter to see if there's any idols in your life. That's a really good filter to use. Worship, that means something that you treasure, uh, that has the most worth, that you prioritize, that has supreme worth in your life over who God is, over God. That's an idol. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a, a basketball team here. I don't know. Let's just say the Spurs, potentially. I don't know. It could be that. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, maybe it's anything. It could be anything. We can idolize anything. What is it? Anything that takes that main priority, that becomes that greatest love in your life, that has that supreme worth in your heart is an idol. Because God said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All your strength. Now, what makes idolatry so dangerous? And, and it's common. And why do we as believers still have these hearts that maybe start to drift in that, in that direction? Why do we have hearts that tend to drift in that direction sometimes? Well, it's important to remember this, that in life you're either in one of two spots. You're either worshiping and loving and treasuring Christ, you're either in that bucket, or you're worshiping and treasuring something else. Our hearts want to worship something. Our hearts want something on the throne, on its throne. Something is going to be on the throne. There's no middle ground. Something's going to be number one in your life. And God needs to be number one. He calls to be number one. He has to be number one in your life. You know, I think of, um, my wife always calls me an old soul because technically the movie came out before I was born, but I think I just watched like a whole bunch of 80s movies with my dad when I was younger. Um, but the Indiana Jones series, um, I, you know, I've seen them all. Um, but there's one where, the, the first one, where literally he goes into this temple and he takes this little, this little golden idol, actually, right? There's a literal golden idol there. He takes it and he replaces it. It's not with Christ. It's with like a sandbag. But, but there was an actual idol there. That can be like a picture of like our heart there. Something's going to be on the throne of our heart. Something's going to be number one in our heart. And now it can change from maybe our, our greatest love being the pursuit of worldly pleasures and it can turn into money or possessions like we see with this guy. It can change, but there's always going to be something there. There's always going to be something there. One particular thing could get conquered and moved out, but there's going to be something there. Our heart is geared toward worshiping something, and it's either Christ or it's something else. And if it's something else, that's an idol in our lives. There's no neutrality when it comes to our heart, right? Like you drive a car, you can do drive and reverse and neutral. There's no neutral. There's no, there's no in-between here. There's no in-between I think about our kids, our young people, and in high school, even in middle school, they, they, they just idolize being in a relationship. Like it's the, the, the end all be all. That this idol of being in this relationship. They, they idolize this thing. Like if, as if, if you don't have a relationship with, with somebody in high school, that something's wrong with you. Man, that is, that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. But they idolize these things. There's idols all around us. And they're calling out to us, and they try to infiltrate our lives. So what are some safeguards that we can have against idols in our lives? Number one, submitting to the word of God. 
submitting to the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? We must submit to the word of God, to his word, follow his word, hold fast unto the word of God, treasure the word of God, obey the word of God, not turning to the left or to the right, but following and the path that God has set out before us. And when we're, when we're clinging to God's word, you're clinging on to God. You're clinging on to the Lord. If you want to drift into idolatry real quick, make the word of God just optional. Make the word of God flippant. Make it something that just stays closed and collecting dust in your life. You'll drift real quick into idolatry. When that becomes optional, when the word becomes optional, obedience to God is going to become optional. All those things, worshiping God is going to become optional. That you're opening a door and say, idols, come right in. Come right into my life. Come right into my life. But no, I would ask you, do I cling to the Lord and listen to his word or am I following after something else? Not submitting to his word. We must submit to the word of God. My young people, can we say amen? Amen. amen. We must submit to the word of God. But we also need the Lord's help always, right? We must be in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Not literally every breath that comes out of our, of our mouth is literally pray, but pray without ceasing. We must constantly be in prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to submit to your word. Lord, help me not to allow idols into my life. Lord, help me to obey your word. In Psalm 119.33, look what it says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Do you see dependence here on God? Dependence on the Lord in prayer? For I delight in it. Verse 36, I love this word, incline my heart. to. Have you ever been on an incline on your treadmill? No? Anybody do it? Or you just go straight decline? Do incline. It's better for you. Trust me. But have you ever inclined? Like, have you ever had that on a treadmill? He's saying, incline my heart, right? Bend my will has this idea of being bent in a certain direction. He's saying, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Give me life in your ways. We are to be dependent in prayer, submitted to his word, but dependent on God in prayer, in prayer. And also, in doing so, we should be guarding our hearts. We have to be guarding our hearts. Is my affections truly, truly set on Christ? Are my affections aligned towards God and his word? Or is it aligned towards something else? Is it aligned to what the world is offering, to what the world is preaching? What is my affections aligned toward? We're so bent and so our propensity is, is, is so much so to, to be given over to these lesser things, to, to these smaller things. But God is calling us to be completely given over to him as supreme in our lives. God doesn't want a divided heart. Amen? He wants a heart that's fully submitted and committed to him, fully devoted to him. Fully devoted to him. So Christ is... He's trying to get this guy to see it. He's trying to get this, this man to see it. He's, he's putting the law of God in front of him so this guy could see what's truly uh, in his life, is number one in his life. He's saying, come, follow me. 
Don't hold on to that sin. Don't hold on to that thing in your life, your possessions, that is really, truly your God. And what's crazy about this, at the time that Jesus is talking to this man, he's literally headed to the cross. He's literally on his way to the cross to pay the price for sin. He's literally on his way to pay for sin. If he would only put his faith and trust in, in Jesus who was right before him on the way to pay the price for sin, he could have the very thing he, he was seeking after, eternal life. Amen. Are you willing to exchange anything and everything? Are you willing to submit everything to Jesus? We deny ourselves of lesser things in order to get greater things. Come, follow Christ. Look what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I love that. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It is worth it. It is worth it. He even goes on later in that passage saying that there won't be anyone who is, who is where the cost of following Jesus, the things that they have left behind, where they would not be rewarded a hundredfold, he said, in this life, in the here and now. Yes, later on, but here and now, he says, further down in the passage, you gain so much more. And this guy walks away. He walks away. Again, I'll ask you, do you truly love Christ? Are you truly beholding Christ in his word? Or is there something in your life blocking your view of him? Did y'all see the solar eclipse the other day? It was yesterday? I didn't see it, but I saw pictures. I actually saw one that made me laugh. Uh, they put uh, Victor Wimbenyama's face in front of it. It made me laugh. I just wanted to share that with y'all. But are there things that are blocking your view from the sun, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N, from the S-O-N? If there is, set that thing aside. Surrender that thing to Jesus. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Don't hold on to that thing any longer. Let go of all other things that would cause you to look lesser upon the glories of Christ. Let him go. Flee from idols, as 1 John 1 said. And what's so crazy is the things that this guy held on to so tightly, these possessions that he walked away from Jesus because of these possessions, where are those things now? Are they in heaven? Where are those things now? They're dust somewhere. They're buried somewhere. Who knows where they're at? Who knows where those things are? Those things that he held so tightly onto, where are they now? He passed up eternity's greatest possession because of earthly, these earthly temporary things, these earthly temporary possessions. We must cling to Christ and let go of the things of this world, be willing to abandon it all for the sake of following Jesus, truly treasuring him, truly finding our contentment, and our true satisfaction in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you, God, for the richness of the word of God. Lord, we need your word every single day. God, there is an enemy out there, God, that is seeking to devour, God, the saints of God. He's, he's, he's prowling around like a, a lion, seeking whom he may devour.
He's only there to steal, kill, and destroy, God. God, I pray that we would be equipped with God's word every single day, that you would place a fire and a passion in our hearts for your word, God, that this book wouldn't just stay closed collecting dust, but it would stay open and it would be fresh in our minds every single day, God, that we would value the word of God, that we would be submitted to the word of God, that our love for you and our affection for you would continue to grow, God, that we wouldn't make the mistake as this rich young ruler did, seemingly having everything in life, but missing the greatest thing in his life and walking away from Jesus. God, but instead that we would pursue Jesus, that we would follow after you, Lord, with, with everything in us, God, with a resolve, God, with, with our hearts aligned, with our affections aligned to your will, Lord, and to your word, God. Help us to be the light into every, every sphere of influence we find ourselves in. I pray that you bless every saint here tonight, God, that as they start the work week tomorrow, God, that they would just feel a fresh zeal for the word of God, that they would have a fresh passion to share your word, God, that they wouldn't be a, a stagnant, just going through the motions Christian, but they would be a passionate Christian, ready to share the truth with a world, God, that has your wrath set on them, but that we would be able to point them to eternal life. They would be able to point them to King Jesus, where they can find true satisfaction and true life. Bless the church. Bless every saint that made it out tonight. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's all in your name, always for your glory, forever. In Jesus' name, amen.